Welcome to Lunacy. Quick acknowledgement before we get started. There are parts of this podcast which may make you slightly uncomfortable. That's where the juice is. I want to acknowledge you for listening. Growth, it seems, is always challenging. And also, fortunately, always rewarding. Thank God. (laughs) Also, there is some discussion of reincarnation and the idea that we chose to be here on this planet before we got here. You may or may not think that way, and ultimately, who knows where the truth lies. Regardless of where you stand, I encourage you to try these ideas on for the sake of the thought experiment. Also discussed is an actual case of euthanasia, just so you know. Happy listening, and much love. I am Jeff Ado. This is Lunacy, where we discern the sacred from the insane and admit that whether we like it or not, we are all profoundly affected by the cycles of the moon. My guest today is Kai Carell, a spiritual teacher, very dear friend of mine, fellow philosopher, and experimenter into life and what it means and why we're here. Somebody who practices a lot of different uh, religious ideas and uh, tenets and is an avid seeker, right? I would say. Yeah. And uh, is a really good friend and brother of mine. So thank you for coming to the program, Kai. Thank you for uh, bringing me back. Yeah. My second appearance. Round two, ladies and gentlemen, Kai Carell. I thought you were going to say a fellow lunatic. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That is for sure. You're definitely a fellow lunatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, everybody could attest to that. Everyone who knows you. I strive. I strive for my lunacy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you for being so freaking weird you know what i mean i again i do my best um <laughs> uh, so today we're here to talk about all we'll sing which is my latest release music release and music video release i'm really excited about it worked super hard on this song it's been a long time coming and uh now it's out there and i'm really stoked about it so first things first we're gonna listen to it uh, you, if you're listening to this, you can also watch the video. It'll be posted in this podcast on my YouTube channel. Uh, so if you'd like to do that, go for it. Would you laugh at me and turn your head away? Or would you look long and hard Ask yourself what it means The truth can bend and break and go astray I find within, kiss my head, turn and fly away. 
scream and cry and beg for what is lost? Or do you shrug, take a bow, thank the world for what it gave, spread your wings and kindly pay the cost? Thank you, thank you. I really feel good about it. It's, uh, yeah, it's really heartwarming to hear it. Honestly, <laughs> it's funny. I don't really let myself celebrate myself because we don't do that in our culture. But <laughs> we should. We should. Like, I really feel like I worked really hard. I'm really proud of the um, the musicians and Brad Gordon, the producer, is so amazing, and the mixer, my friend Barney. Like, it's it's really come a long way and and myself quite frankly for like putting as much love and heart as i have into it you know it's it's not an easy thing to to birth a baby like that and you know obviously it's it's up to anybody who listens to it how they feel about it but to me it's great you know i was really looking for like i just want to make something great when i hear this in 30 years, I'm going to be like, man, that's a good song. Good job. You know? You know, it's so true what you're saying, though, that in our culture, we are so um, accustomed not to appreciate what we do and why. And on the opposite, how much effort do we put into unappreciating things in ourselves and this duality that the song also speaks to about allow yeah celebrate this is a moment to celebrate it came out so beautiful and it's touching like for the some someone listening to it your heart and all the hard work you should definitely appreciate thank you yay good job jeff good job way to go buddy you got one you did a good one all right stop beating yourself up so much about other things you know it's a waste exactly. of time exactly <laughs> um yeah so so first of all, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this because it's a really deep subject matter. The, 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 the purpose of the song. It's so funny. Like <laughs> most musicians don't go into depth about why they wrote the song. Whereas I'm like all about it. I want to talk about the philosophy of what went into the meat and potatoes of all we'll sing. So mm -hmm. I don't really want to talk about exactly what happened. Um, but something really tragic and, um, it was, 
just uh, to, I was totally blindsided by the event that occurred. Um, you know, everybody uh, survived, so that's great. But it, it was not, you know, it's, it's a forever kind of a scarring thing. And and um, and I really feel also that like a lot of times things happen and you don't know where where they came from, you know. Um, and so it started there. It started in this space of like, wow, this is a crazy event that happened and it's really sad and tragic and like seems like some otherworldly things are happening, which is something else we don't really talk about. Um, and so I wanted to write a song about that and also about, you know, looking, looking deeper at it, looking deeper at tragedy and loss and joy and happiness into the the unity the oneness of those things the duality where does the duality meet uh meet so that it becomes one where do the where do the two circles meet like that circle in zen you know the um yin yang yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there is a line that i really love in the song that says that not knowing is a terrifying thing and in a way we live life as if we know but we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I can walk and a piano falls down on me and that's over. So there is an undercurrent of fear of death that we live with. And we don't deal with it. Some do with anxiety or like, oh my God, I'm going to die. But most of us completely ignore this part. So in a way, uh, you later said cold in the hot and the cold, cold and the hot, light and the dark. Light and darkness, the cold and the hot. So there is this place of us that is saying, oh, I want just the cozy and not the cold. I just want the light. I don't want the dark. Mm -hmm. I don't want death. I only want to have life. And I rather not know. But this, it's not really, you know, you know, you're going to die. And you know that you see people around you die in not even tragic ways. You know that it is a part of life. But this choice to not know, to ignore, in a way, you feel, oh, this is a little comforting that I don't think about it. However, this unthinking or ignoring is taking the volume of life and kind of turning it down. Mm -hmm. And for you to really appreciate life, you need to acknowledge death in every moment. Mm -hmm. Because every moment we're dying, our cells are decaying, everything is in a process of decay. So in a way, living is a process of dying, right? You were born and you're not born to live. You are literally from the first moment, your timer goes and you're now in a process of dying. Now, on one hand, if I sit here and obsess about the fact that I'm going to die at the end of the story, I'm not going to live. Mm -hmm. So these two polar experiences, birth, death, and for some rebirth, but at least birth and death, allow each other to be more meaningful. Yeah. Imagine that you'd live forever. Let's say in a gazillion years from now, there's not a single experience of life that you've not had. Mm-hmm. You dated everyone. Yeah. You had children. What a nightmare. You know how to learn all music, <laughs> musical instruments. A gazillion years, right? You have, you will do anything and all everything. Yeah. So eventually you'll get to a point where Absolute boredom. Uh-huh. Absolute. Like, like there's, you know, like what, what else? 
What else can I do? I created, I sing, I cried, I, I've done it all. And so the process of life, it is a genius expression of allowing you to have meaning. That, okay, you th- even if you do believe in reincarnation, whatever, but you are living one life at a time. And in that life, you get to choose. Okay, this lifetime guitar, mm-hmm. next lifetime piano. Um, dating this person next time something else no children now maybe children later all of these experiences allow you to go through a process of empowered choice right so the first you're saying not knowing is a terrifying thing knowing there's nothing to know is a terrifying knowing thing. that there's nothing to know meaning that i all i know is that i don't know yes and i accept that i don't know Knowing there's nothing to know is like saying, okay, it's like an expression of complete and total humility because I know that I, that there's nothing to know. And even something that I do know, it's going to be transforming and changing as we go along. You know, we thought that everything revolved around the earth and now we know well, that's or that not the, the earth case. was a turtle or that the earth was a turtle, which might be, that might true. actually be accurate. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm still waiting for it to poke its head out and bite me in the ass. I think, maybe I think that might that. still happen. Um, but that first part is saying that to know that you don't know is terrifying because of everything that we said, because of the, the fear that comes with feeling small. Mm-hmm. It's humbling. Yeah. And you're feeling small. Like I am just a drop in the ocean. Exactly. But then you sing this again and you change it is to a knowing there's nothing to know is a gratifying thing. So what happened? How come, how did it flip? It's flipped because. You actually start to realize that not knowing is in assistance to you, mm-hmm. that it allows you to, like I said earlier, to actually be in the process of life, to enjoy the experience. So once again, imagine that you knew everything, that if you already knew what's going to happen in your life and when things are going to happen, who you're going to marry, all of this is from day one, you already knew. Again, you'll be in absolute boredom. It's like, okay, I'll meet my wife at age this and this. So what am I doing until then? And it'll be kind of meaningless. So the fact, so I'll give you an example. You and I decide to go to a movie. I've seen this movie already 16 times. It is absolutely new for you. Mm -hmm. Do we have the same or different experience? Completely drastically different. Yeah, totally different. Now, if I'm... You're bored. I'm completely I'm bored. Or you might love the movie so much that you're just like, this is so amazing. Yeah, but even then, like if it was Star Wars. What, hap- what happens to us when the original? We, <laughs> the original, like, absolutely. The, absolutely. But I would you know. go to Star Trek. But anyway, <laughs> what happens to us when we go to someone who knows this movie by heart for 16 times? Mm. They, what do we enjoy? That they memorize the lines. They know what happens. It's a different kind of joy and experience, right? They're mm-hmm. kind of playing with it and becoming more artistic or expressive for, for them. Yeah. However, you would not want to go to a movie that's new for you with someone that's just enjoying the spoiler effect of it, that they enjoy the knowing. So imagine that we're going to, let's say, movie big with, uh, what's his name? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. And, You've never seen it. I've seen it. And throughout the whole movie, I'm kind of quoting him and I'm telling you what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, but wait until the Dr. Pepper scene. I'm like, uh-huh. hey, you're ruining it for me, uh-huh. right? Yeah. You enjoy the unknownness of this experience. It is gratifying for you. Yeah. You enjoy the fact, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. When we go into a relationship, a relationship in the beginning, why do we have this, what we call honeymoon phase? All that it is, is the gratification of the unknown. Because you meet a person, you don't know 
What kind of spaghetti they like? How do they brush their teeth? What sounds they make in certain situations? It's all, how do they look naked? All these things are completely unknown to you. Especially how they look naked. Especially and while they're eating their yeah. spaghetti. And then we rush to that point. So then right. it's gone, unfortunately. But the point is no that rush. that period of time is absolutely gratifying because of one reason, it is unknown to you. Mm-hmm. When does the relationship start to go downhill? Is when it becomes more and more known. More, I know her, I know how yeah. she acts, I know, I know, I know, I know. So if in the beginning you were kind of checking checkboxes, wow, amazing, wow, I didn't know this, I didn't know this. Later, you're not even asking the questions. You're, instead of asking the question, you're saying, well, I already know how right. you're going to be, how you're going to behave, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with life. You see the lack of plasticity in not maybe also f- physical as the body grows old, but we're kind of getting more and more set in our ways, mm-hmm. which is another way of saying, I do know. I know how things are. Yeah. Right. And then that, as you say, spoils it. I mean, so often in relationships, you know, we 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 have our wounding from prior relationships. They cheated on me or they did this or they weren't listening. And so then, you know, we find something new and we're like, oh, this is great. And it's beautiful. And I, I can't believe how great I how lucky I am. And then eventually that same listening that we had of that person, you know, uh, just reiterates itself or recreates itself because we're thinking, well, she's just going to be just like, you know, Mona was back in the day. And then all the problems that I have with Mona are now with, you know, Janice and, uh, and, and it's surprising to me, but it's, but it's also because of the fact that I'm assuming that I know how it's going to go. In fact, in a very large way, she has no other choice than to act like Mona did, because that's the way that I'm listening to her. Like you're you're going you're going to try, and this is all subconscious, to prove that she's Mona. Right. So every time that she makes a somewhat Mona-esque move, you're already on top of that. And hey, you see, that's a Mona move. I know you're going to hurt me yeah. next. And again, this is all subconscious. This happens as automatics, uh-huh. right? And again, all you're doing is reinforcing the known. Yeah. So it's and not gra- that it, not dynamic that you know. And by the way, she either she already maybe has that dynamic with somebody that she was before, which is why you guys secretly chose each other. Or she has no idea about all that shit, but she finds herself acting in this weird way that she's never acted before because that's the way that you're listening to her. Mm-hmm. You're calling that from her so that you could continue to survive the notions, ideas that you're holding on to that you have to know mm-hmm. versus just letting those notions go and knowing there's nothing to know. And there's an interesting thing because for the mind, this is literally neurochemistry. Yeah. There is gratification in the re-experiencing of the known. Yeah. You're, uh, that's like addiction, right? With a substance, like what you, you know what's going to do. You have done this a thousand times. You know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. But there is chemical gratification. Uh-huh. So again, this is another example where that known is gratifying, but this, this sense we're talking about negative gratification in a sense of it is not good for you. What is required for you is actually to stay open in the terrifying of the unknown Mm -hmm. yeah which is a real challenge which is what the song is about like Mm -hmm. how do i just stand in the middle of the river as the waves are rushing by um it's that's exactly right you know another thing about the neurochemistry a fact that just always just comes back to me so so often is neural neural peptides 
you know, this whole idea, they go into it in um, what the bleep do we know? And a lot of those authors also talk about that whole phenomenon where if we experience something traumatic, something sad, and we're, you know, uh, really upset about it, then we create all these neural peptides, these actual cells Receptor, in our brain, yeah. the receptors for that emotion. Uh-huh. Well, those little neural peptides are, are actually also canals in our actual brain. And those little neural peptides that are accepting all this shame and guilt and fear and loathing, et cetera, and there's something wrong here, they're alive now. And so they need to continue to live. So they need for me to experience that same kind of shit so that I can feel so fucking terrible again. Otherwise they will die, which is crazy. So then I keep choosing events and people over and over again that are going to satisfy that need to have that terrible event happen to, to re-trigger that trauma because I never dealt with it in the first place. Mm -hmm. It never healed, which, and also sadly it, it, it requires it in higher and higher dosages. So again, like oh, addiction yeah. in the beginning, you, they maybe one cigarette, but then that's not enough. And then you need to do more and you need to do more. So that explains to us that the, and it is a natural phenomenon of being human that the need to re-examine or re-experience challenging events. Mm-hmm. But also that requires again to stay in order to walk away from this is to the willingness to stand in the terrifying. Wow, yeah. it's scary to not know. Mm-hmm. It is scary to feel small. Yeah. That's one of the reasons Ellen Watts tells us why we call it falling in love. Because it's a fall. It's a free fall. You feel like ah, I'm losing my state of self. In order to protect ourselves, we start putting things in boxes. Okay, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's not as scary. It's not as unknown. I don't know if they're going to reject me. Let me make all the promises I leave early. I leave before. Or I will create, I'm going to start to create a game where I will hurt the least and thinking that I will gain the most, but it doesn't work like that mm-hmm. without that fear of the unknown and the terror in, in a way for the ego. It's a, it is terror to fall apart. Without that, the volume of enjoying life goes down also. Yeah. So I can't just say, I will just not feel the pain of, let's say, rejection in a relationship. But if I'm lowering that so that will not hurt me, I will be less terrified. I will also be less moved by a song. Mm-hmm. I will less be inspired by a tree or by a, the sunset. So we need right. to understand that life is dual. You can't turn off the darkness. That will turn off the light. Yeah. You can only be focused on the light because without the darkness, there's no balance. Right. Exactly. I think it's Khalil Gibran talks about like the, the experience of my joy is inversely proportionate to the depth of my sorrow. He doesn't say it quite that way, but that's accurate. If we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and experience the joy so fully, we know that we're also going to experience the sadness so fully. The difference is allowing that sadness to go, which I think is the thing that's really missing for most of us. And we never really received any training or education about unless we grew up in, I don't know, some culture where that was like really talked about and discussed and, and, and that there were processes put in place. You know, it's, that's part of the thing is that we don't know how to process the grief, you know, the tragedy, the tragedy that inspired the song is a really sad thing that happened. But if I allow myself to fully embrace that, see it, understand what happened on some level and accept it 
cry about it, emote about it, and then let it go, then then I'm able to see the beauty of the teaching that is behind it. And I'm able to just experience life more fully. You know, I think, you know, there's such a, um, there's, there is a, a fallacy that somehow we can escape the sadness that we can escape suffering and pain. And, and we can't, mm-hmm. we're going to feel it no matter what, no matter how much we shield ourselves, as you say, with knowing, you know, what we know and, and believing what we believe, no, how, no matter how much we shield ourselves, we're still going to die and we're still going to have something extremely terrible happen or sad happen at some point. It's, it's really like freedom and liberation and truly living is just in the acceptance. Okay. You know what? There's not, I know that something's going to come down the pike and I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to be open as open as I can and accept whatever, whatever happens. There's something so beautiful in, in, you know, going back to that notion, just standing in the river and letting it come, letting it wash over me, no matter what it brings. And also knowing that, first of all, there's no, knowing there's nothing to know, uh, uh, that it will be terrifying, that it will also be gratifying, that it will come full circle, that I will see the other side of this. And because I saw the, the dark side, I'm able to really embrace the light. Mm-hmm. which we don't usually allow ourselves to do. And I, I let let me, well, let me kind of bring it to also a practical place where as a funny uh, example, I'm coming back to you saying, oh, I don't appreciate, my, appreciate myself for this song. Because uh, as little as that, yeah. we are, like you're saying, we're living in a culture that is not celebratory towards processing pain Experiencing, yes, we are very celebratory of sharing and expressing our pain, mm-hmm. but not really healing, not really looking at it, not really talking about it, not really standing in our weakness. We complain a lot, we share about the problems, but we're not really taking ownership of them and really going deep into them. Beautiful saying in um, uh, the Jewish faith is, don't shorten your winters. I love saying this. Yeah. It is now winter. It is now time for me to feel the pain, the grief, the terror, the whatever it is, and not shorten my winter so it's summer already and I'm feeling happy, but really accept it. But also don't shorten your summers. Mm-hmm. Right? And as you can see, it is such a engraved and um, ingrained. Ingrained. Yeah, yeah, both of those things. Um, human experience at this time where we're at Mm -hmm. our societies are not built to celebrate growth and wholeness yeah that will lead to what so this running away from fear running away from unknownness running away from death Mm -hmm. will lead to us becoming more and more numb and if you look around that's kind of what's happening totally right and then i need to be on my phone all day longer i need to keep numbing myself numbing myself numbing myself because i'm so afraid or feeling any kind of discomfort. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of work with um, plant medicine and indigenous people. You? I do. Really? Yeah. Why, come on. Get out of town. One of the things that you'll find, which is the most <laughs> inspiring for me when you go to the jungle, is that it's extremely uncomfortable. Mm. And you're confronted as someone who doesn't live in the jungle daily. Yeah with wow there are mosquitoes and there's waters that are not clean and so many different things and a lot of the different medicines that they offer you are not comfortable they burn your eyes and there's so many different things and not literally burn your eyes but they feel like they burn your eyes yeah they're very intense sananga 
But what is the teaching here? Is how we as people who are mostly unexposed to discomfort. Now, obviously, you no, know, every person for them, for one person, comfort is a five star four season hotel in the Bahamas. And like under this is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And someone else that you can see in many of these places that I visited, not everyone has, has shoes. Not everyone has clean waters. Mm -hmm. However, most of these people have so much happiness. Yeah. And so much joy. And if they have like a small, like a toy car or something, they're so happy with it. Mm -hmm. And on the flip to that, you see people that have 50 cars and they're not happy because they don't have the latest one and the greatest one and yeah. they're still not happy. And they equate that with winning or something or they equate mm -hmm. that with happiness. Value, it's, it's right? Not, Worth, yeah. value. So the point again is that we are so afraid of discomfort, which I'm relating to the first line of the song, not knowing it, not knowing, knowing that there's we know nothing to know is a, a terrifying thing. thing. But is it really? Mm -hmm. Is is standing standing in discomfort and fear, is it so terrifying? It is terrifying and it is gratifying. Exactly. What what, what makes it gratifying or terrifying? Your approach. Yeah. How you choose to live your life. How you're choosing to look. And like you said, you don't. It doesn't mean that you need to be completely focused on. Yeah, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. But accepting that death is a part of your life. Mm -hmm. will equip you with the ability and possibility to be ready if your parents will die in a certain moment your children might be in a car accident these things are guaranteed there is no way for you as a human being to avoid the calamity that is prescribed for you as a human mm -hmm. so you know what if you think about it everything that's happening all these calamities all these horrible things if you could talk to god it's like why did you make it like this and you know, the answer will be, but it's absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. It is made on purpose in this exact specific way. This is exactly how it's supposed to be. So you will learn about yourself and you will choose an empowering meaning to pain, to grief. Mm -hmm. And all the different spiritual traditions of the world, you see, for example, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, Tibetan Book of the Dead. In Peru, there's a lot of work around death. Mind Plant culture, medicines yeah. are a lot about re um rebirth and resurrection and dying mm -hmm. because this is the point is like stop avoiding yeah the places that are uncomfortable and start to open to them and understand they you cannot accept for the rest of your life it's still going to happen mm -hmm. you can bypass them spiritually or not spiritually you can completely ignore push them away are they going to not happen because you put your hand in the sand no no so instead learning to train ourselves from as little as accepting, I just did an amazing song. Because like you said earlier, not accepting the song means that you won't be able to accept your darkness in the same way also. Mm -hmm. Finding the equilibrium. If I'm running away from light, I'm running away from darkness. If I'm running away from darkness, I'm running away from light. That's beautiful. Yeah, the whole idea of continuous death and Zen where it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to meditate on if I were to die today, I'm going to die right now. What are the things that are incomplete in my life? And then all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, wait a minute. You start really listening to your higher self, right? Or your Ori, right? Mm -hmm. And then you start thinking, oh, there's all these things that I need to complete in my life so that I have integrity, so that I don't feel lacking, so that I'm healed and whole 
And those things are the things that we're called to do, which is such a powerful, powerful practice, whether it's in Zen or Tibet or wherever else, you know, that you're focused on that kind of thing, because then then we're able to bring wholeness and completion to our lives and celebrate who we are now, as opposed to ignoring things so much and pretending like it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna get me. And when I'm sad, what do I do? I go to the bar and I have a couple of drinks, which that never works. I mean, sorry to say, I wish it did, quite frankly. I wish you could just go <laughs> drink your sorrows away, but that, that's never that's never the way the equation happens. It, it always makes them worse, at least in my experience. You know, um, and I think that's part of the, you know, you have to at least get to a point where you're just like allowing yourself to really fully grieve whatever it is that is saddening you, whatever it is that you need to grieve so that you can heal and then have acceptance of, of yourself and who you are, despite the fact that you got lambasted. So what is the first step? The first step would be to identify or no, I would say even before that, the first step would be the acknowledgement that I am numbing parts of myself in my life, mm-hmm. whether it is by alcohol or by uh, scrolling on your phone for hour, hour working, my working, scrolling or workaholicism yeah. or all, whatever it is. It's, Anything in excess like that. So not saying just turn it off completely and say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore because that will not heal it. It will come back. That's mm-hmm. shortening your word winter. Yeah. But you would like to get to a place where there's a tear, whether it's physical or not, of, wow, I am disconnected from myself. Yeah. And I needed to protect myself by these type of things that supposedly make me feel better. Mm-hmm. They do for a second, for a minute, for an hour, for yeah. a day. They do for but very brief. Then... The funny thing is, when you're saying that I'm feeling better, actually, I'll give honor to my grandfather because that's his story. So um, he used to say that it's kind of Jewish joke that um, the older you get, you choose to have smaller shoes. And I'm like, but why? Like, doesn't make sense. He says, because you get to a point that your life is so annoying and hard that the greatest joy that you have is when you take off your shoes and you feel so good about your feet. Ah. So the same thing, this is what we're doing with the scrolling and the alcohol and all this. Numbing, you say, oh, I'm feeling better because I'm scrolling or whatever. You're not feeling better. You're just not feeling the pain that exists. Yeah. So it's not that I'm feeling good. I'm feeling not bad. Right. Very two different things. Feeling not bad, not challenged, not and feeling good Mm -hmm. right feeling good is a state so good also the word good is a little challenging but the opposite of numbing yourself is being open and receptive Mm -hmm. is being alive life brings risk life brings the terrifying part that we spoke about earlier life is unknown Mm -hmm. so again it is a journey of first step acknowledgement yes i'm numbing in all these kind of ways that acknowledgement on its own will start the journey. Yeah. Because the first, um, there's a whole uh, concept in, in uh, theosophy around um, the gates to, in, in, to awakening. And the first gate is defense. So the first part of me that's not wanting to wake up is the part that says, 
I don't even look at my numbing. I'm numbing myself to see that I'm numbing. Yeah. Someone scrolling on their phone for nine hours with some kind of excuse. I do this for work. I need to do whatever. But yeah, but you're, there's life happening out there. There's a um, funny clip with, uh, what's his name? Louis C.K. Where he says people are at the... Um, like New Year's event, you know, the, when the ball falls and the New Year's at 12 o'clock, you know, when the ball falls and everyone's, yeah, and kissing and all that. He says, there's acrobats in the air and so much going on. And everyone's looking at it through their phone, you know, disconnected, the plastic thing that disconnects. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's not my rant against technology. I love technology, but looking for the places that how am I using technology? or a relationship, or substances, or whatever it is that I'm doing in order to know myself and feel that more disconnected. Acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Then as you acknowledge it, you'll see that it will become harder and harder to do these things without feeling, I'm wasting my life. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm actually not happy. I'm maybe not sad because I'm occupied, because my mind is doing something else, but I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And then we'll begin your spiritual journey, which will be the journey of, and how do I find happiness? Mm-hmm. How do I start to, and it will start with discomfort. Yeah. There has to be some situation of facing lost time, painful relationships, mm-hmm. the inability to express our truth. So many different things that if I'm willing to face the uncomfortable, um, so beautiful. Victor Frankl has a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. And there's a line in this book says something like, you need to understand that without the ability to face discomfort, you won't be able to find meaning. Right. Because it is, again, like I said earlier, discomfort is prescribed for you as you chose this planet as your destination mm-hmm. for this life. Yeah. So, oh, planet Earth comes with, like, you know how to say um, in the small print? Yeah. Comes with discomfort, <laughs> death, and sickness. Like so Lots of weird the, rashes and, so, uh, you know, toxic relationships. Right. So ima- imagine if you're, you're, <laughs> you're taking that, that pill and you're like, doesn't matter what's written in them. You know, just see what happens, you know. And, and you're seeing what happens. Like you yeah. came to this planet. It involves all of these uncomfortable things. So is it helping you to completely pretend that they don't exist? No. No. And that's the journey. Yeah. That's Turning the, journey. the terrifying into gratifying, into gratifying. And what gratifies just my ego to the willingness to be terrified a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. What happens to many people that get a sudden heart attack or something like this? Suddenly they're facing death. Like, okay, you smoked and this and this and this, whatever you did alcohol and parties, whatever, and suddenly get a heart attack. Suddenly these people, oh my God, I still want to go to Italy. I still want to paint. I still want to tell my wife how much I love her. Suddenly there's a wake up call. Mm-hmm. But what, what just happened? The mask of ignoring the reality was taken off for a minute, a day, a week, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a terrifying thing. Oh my God, I'm losing my life. Like this is it. I'm, I could have died last week. Yeah. And what happens from terrifying gratitude? Thank you. Oh my God. I'm so appreciative. My wife is amazing. Everything. What happened just a week before all these things were boring for us and 
not important and we were not grateful for. Mm -hmm. So again, death is a gift in that sense. Not saying we aspire to die. I'm saying we aspire to live with so much gratitude that every moment that we get to live might be our last. And mm -hmm. if we live in that way, it will be the change, the flip of meaning from terrifying to gratifying, gratifying to terrifying. Yeah, and it's so beautiful to see. I mean, we had a um, uh, a good friend of my wife just passed away and mm -hmm. he was going through like organ failure and all kinds of just terrible rotten things that you don't want to have happen. And, you know, his wife was watching and he just he um, he elected to do the euthanasia. He euthanized himself. He they give you a shot. It's legal in New Mexico. And I'm not, you know, recommending this or condoning it or whatever. But for him, it was what he saw as the answer. And he knew he was it was only a matter of weeks anyway. And he wanted to end the suffering for he and his wife. And um, he was at peace. You know, we talked to him. Uh, I, I talked to him a couple of days before he died. Christine talked to him the morning that he died. And he was at peace. And he bravely went into that world. You know, he drank the the stuff like he like he would have shot. Most people sip it. He he drank it. He he knew that that was what his destiny was. And so, again, obviously, neither of us, no one knows what the results of that is. But I can certainly, I mean, certainly, there's there's a result in in terms of how the living people around him how. My wife and I and all the people who loved him, his family, accept that and see what he's doing and get why he's doing it. And it's also to help them. It's such a more beautiful way and honorable way to die with with your eyes open. And I think that's also part of the challenge. Um, and the, the other thing that I wanted to mention that came up while you were talking is like this terrifying thing, this this hunting, you know, looking for discomfort. I, I, I've interviewed my friend uh, Sterling Hawkins a couple of times about hunting discomfort and going going at life no matter what style, you know, where you're just going to, you have your commitment, you're going to go after it no matter what. That's what you're going to do. Things are going to throw you off track. You're just going to keep going, like with the, the mind for me, you know, making sure that the mind didn't open in my neighborhood. That was a no matter what. I'm going to go after it. It happened. And it happened. It was me and the community, but I was part of it. And by the way, now I feel ownership to that community and that that space and that place and this planet because I defended her against something that would have been really tragic. Um, she shook. In she shook. Yeah. I don't know if I told that part of the story, but for those of who, for people who've been paying attention to the podcast. All right. Uh, this is fucking mine. All right. That they wanted to reopen in Grass Valley. And it would have really like just destroyed the environment. And uh, we fought hard against it. I wrote a song and did a music video and performed that song at the supervisor's meeting twice uh, and rallied people together. And, and, and so did a lot of other people. And we really, the community really fought hard with a lot of people way smarter than me speaking out against it. And when the, when the supervisors made their choice to say no to the mine and no to the environmental impact report, at the same time, the earth quaked. And it quaked along the same fault line that this mine company was going to fill with toxic waste. That was mm -hmm. their plan. They were just going to fill it with toxic waste. But the earth shook. And I, I mean, there hasn't been an earthquake up there in, I don't know, really, really long time. But it shook along the exact fault line at the exact time that this decision got made. Now, you can call that coincidence, but I won't. <laughs> 
quake uh, incidents. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's like a, that's the earth. Um, that's the earth speaking. So then I, I feel like, okay, good. I defended the earth, you know, from go, moving from, which I think is, 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 is we're getting off track here a little bit, but it's a good track to get off on. Okay. <laughs> which is going from, you know, a perpetrator to defender, you know, uh, going from exploiter to defender. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing with the, the masculine community. How do, how do I, as a man, go from, um, what's the word? It's not perpetrator. It's like, uh, predator. Predator. Going from predator to protector. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we've been predators of the earth too. So then moving to protector. This idea of hunting discomfort and embracing what is terrifying, you know, for us and the reason that we numb ourselves, it's, it's also so much tied to the guilt and shame that I did it wrong. I fucked it up. And then she did that because I'm a bad person and I am ugly and whatever it is. Right. Uh, all of these, this immense guilt and shame that has been heaped upon us in our culture through religion and our ancestry and our parents' generation and the media and just the, the, the intentional ignorance of, of who we really are and what's really going on. And so then part of that terrifying nature of embracing the terrifying, knowing there's nothing to know is terrifying because also I don't want to look at my shadow mm-hmm. and the darkness that I have inside that, that tells me no matter how I look on the outside that I am an ugly terrible human being that is worthy of shame and resentment and death and whatever. I don't want to confront all of the stuff that's around the, the fact that I never, you know, um, that I never process the tragedy that happened where I stole something. And my mother spanked me when I was five years old. Right. That's the first time for me that I was like, Oh, I'm a bad person. You know, <laughs> I never processed that original initial tragedy and I just allowed that to kind of spin out in the back of my mind. And so then now I don't want to even think about it because it's been so many years of me subconsciously, secretly without anyone knowing, heaping shame and guilt upon myself. Mm-hmm. But there's something about accepting that, you know what, there's no getting out of this. That's going to be there. And it's just a matter of healing. And I'm just going to accept that the river is going to roll. And here I am in it. And so I'm going to accept and love myself. And that I think, that I think for anybody, I know for me, uh, and, and it continues to happen, is such a beautiful awakening moment. Like, okay, I got to accept myself. You know what? That's not, there's so many lies that I've been telling myself that are not true about who I am and whether or not I'm worthy of love. And until you do. You can look away, but it's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. That's that's the point. Like in uh, again, back to the terrifying, gratifying. You cannot change the fact that it's prescribed for you to go through challenges. You cannot change the fact that these traumatic events happen to you. Mm-hmm. You can change your attitude and reaction internally in response to them. Mm-hmm. So many of us have trauma that we have occurred. Uh, incurred between the ages of four and seven, which is when the developmental stages of the ego happen. These are ages that even if your dad just screamed at you, you kind of, let's say just screamed at you. It could, could be abuse in many different ways. Could be, But even that could have changed the trajectory of your life to feel shame, guilt, whatever it is. Now, 
when you were a four-year-old, you will respond in a strong way because it was you, that's a big human there shouting at you. Mm-hmm. But that is going to just be the beginning of a lifelong cultivation of shame. Yeah. And it will grow and, you know, fester and grow, grow more and more and more and more. So what we're saying and what this song is talking about is like, what do you prefer to leave it festering like that? Yeah. It's not going to make you feel better. No. Or <laughs> numb yourself so you don't even look at that. Yeah. Or. Which is just going to make it worse. Choose a little bit terrifying moments. Yeah. That, okay, let me confront this. And obviously what will come up with is. People think I'm a bad person. People, however, from experience, what as working with myself and working with people around this, what you find out is that when you are willing to stand in the terrifying, so let's say I have some issue, something happened to me in my childhood and I'm embarrassed and shameful and guilty and a million things. And I think, wow, if my friend Jeff would know that I have an addiction and I have this and this and this, he will hate me mm-hmm. and not like me or whatever it or is. Or think you're an idiot. Think that I'm an idiot. All these lists of things. Or, so yeah, I rather hide this from him so he doesn't see this because mm-hmm. then he will continue to be my friend. Mm-hmm. So we have this thing. Okay, I'll hide it. But however, whether you do plant medicine or therapy or whatever it is your way, and suddenly... This comes up to the surface and what you'll find out. So suddenly I say, I, let's say I do the work and I get the courage and I'm going to face him. And in my initial thought is that he's going to scream at me or tell me I'm stupid or don't want to be your friend anymore. But what happens is actually the opposite. I come to him and say, you know, Jeff, I want to tell you, I have addiction to this and this and this. And instead of him telling me out of my sight, you 99.9% of the time, the experience is, Wow, me too. Mm-hmm. I have maybe not that. I have that. You're feeling shame? Me too, because what that happened to me. So you're realizing that standing it in your weakness actually gives permission for closeness mm-hmm. and more intimacy. Yes. Instead of all the other stories that we were taught, right, from our parents and from different situations that you just don't show who you are yeah. that will not be accepted you right. need to be this plastic perfect version mm-hmm. and what i do hope and it's i pray for that and, you know perfect outfits and everything and a per- specific job and a specific yeah. husband and specific all that specific look, salary you gotta salary yeah. yeah so you have so many hurdles that you need to kind of run through mm-hmm. that each failure in each one of them just makes you less happy about yourself mm-hmm. And how do you deal with that? Numbing. It's, yeah. it's like coming back to this whole cycle. So what is... Whereas the risk of vulnerability is so profoundly liberating. You know, if I choose to be vulnerable and embrace the terrifying and just be vulnerable, even if I put myself in a situation where I know, okay, I'm around certain people, a therapist or like really tight friends or, you know, people from your spiritual community or whatever it is where you know that I can be that vulnerable to express that, you know, to take that risk. It's so much more profoundly liberating as you're actually letting go of so much of that shame and trauma and allowing it to heal. Especially in our intimate relationships or romantic close relationships. Instead of, you know, often we think, okay, you know, there's like this uh, dating shows or whatever that you show what you think that they will be attracted to. 
but then you, you recreate the Muna situation from before. Yeah. Instead of coming to the table and say, this is who I am and I have these kind of issues. And if the person walks away, he just did you a great service. Yeah. Cause it's like, I rather have a partner that sees all my smallnesses and fears and neediness and my kinks and what, like, this is what it is. And then let them choose. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm coming as a completely different human being, there's no other way other than creating what dysfunction and yeah and pain and mm -hmm. suffering that then will explode and you said that you are but you said that you are and you're not at all what i thought that you are and you're not at all what i thought mm -hmm. because without blaming looking at myself why didn't i say my truth why mm -hmm. so coming back to lunacy living life hidden is really saying that I'm in the moon, where that's lunar experience, right? So lunacy, and I'm only running to hide. I'm only going to be in the darker part of the moon that never has the sun. Yeah. Don't ever see me. I'm going to show you only the parts that in my <laughs> lunacy kind of way, I think you would like, right. not really who I am, mm -hmm. right? Remember, uh, how is that line in the song that says the meek and the invaders? Knowing there's nothing to know is a gratifying thing. The lovers, the haters, the meek, the invaders, all will sing. Okay, so meek and invaders. I want to look at that also in relation to the minds. So we gratify. So it, it's interesting. The word meek is is humble, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. in a in a, I would say in a negative way. Yeah. So the meek, like in the small, like that, and the invaders, they have the energy. They fight and like they'll take what they want right so meek can also be just generally humble like the mm -hmm. meek shall inherit the earth kind of a thing but right. yeah mm -hmm. but the, this this concept of both of these polarities mm -hmm. prevent us from saying I, that's exactly meek shall inherit the earth so only if you're devout christian <laughs> making up it up a kind of devout you know i have nothing I should not be grateful for, I should only nothing. That is you from before, not willing to appreciate your own song. Mm -hmm. Because that kind of meek I call fake humility. Right. Oh, you know, I'm nothing. And then what is the opposite for that? Invaders, which is could be, uh, you know, Genghis Khan invading a country, but I'm talking yeah. about... An, uh, the, or Rise Gold invading our neighborhood. The, for example, company, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or... It could be the parts in me that not allowing me to be soft and stand in my invading the sense of like, no, I have a front. I need, I have a goal to achieve. I have a battle to win mm -hmm. where, but I'm also hurting and needy and scared and terrified. So kind of leveling the field between the invader and the meek and I'm able to acknowledge lovers, haters, but able to acknowledge that I have all of them inside of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's right. I am a lover as much as I can. Maybe I'm a hater in some ways. Maybe there's certain things that I hate. Maybe there's certain people that I'm like really driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. it, it is all in me. Yep. Right. So if I just show myself as a lover and I, there's not, not no hate in this heart, is that really true? Right. It's, I might no, say I'm aspiring to that, but it's not true. Yeah. Right. We can. Be such a loving person. I, there is a, I have seen this clip on YouTube. It's so beautiful. So there's a woman, uh, doing like a new age clip about, um, 
I don't remember what it was, but about positive thinking and all like rainbows and light. But she has like a, a how is it called? A camera on the dashboard, dash cam. And so she's driving while she's filming this. Uh-huh. And it's all like, focus on the light, focus on the good, focus on the light. And then someone cut her, cuts her on the, on the road uh-huh. and she goes ballistic. Yeah, freaking. And it's just the, the combination of the, and she stops it, obviously. Uh, but, but it was live. It was live. Oh, that's great. So people actually, uh, yeah, like, you know, so it's so beautiful. It's like, is, so who is I, I her, am that woman. Who is way. she? Is she the first one going. or the second uh, one? Is I'm she, the second one. Is she the lovers? Is she the I'm haters? really, I'm, I, that's something I admittedly, like you mentioned, now it's coming up again. Like yeah. my hatery, I played too much pole position as a child and Spy Hunter. Uh, familiar with those games. And so, like, when I'm on the road, it's it's Pole like for sure. totally, uh, you know, the, if you're in another vehicle, you're my enemy. And <laughs> fuck you. I'm sorry. But it's like, and I'm working on it. Like, I really, and my buddy the other day was like, dude, you got to, man, you got to work on the road rage, bro. That's not you, okay? You're putting something out into the world that is not you. It, it is part of you. Right, but it is also part of me. And it's also like. And you are all compassion for these other human beings that are inside mm-hmm. of the metal boxes. Right. And with it, you are a person who took so much effort to make sure that the minds doesn't happen for mm-hmm. a lot of people. You worked very hard for a lot of people. So again, also hating and loving. Don't hate the parts of you that have road rage. That's right. Acknowledge them, see them and like, okay, what's underneath? Like, that's not normal. That's too, yeah. I can. I don't want out of my road rage to kill someone. Right. And also the lovers is like, the, okay, and, and acknowledge yourself. Look what I've done. And the, and if you haven't seen the video clip of the Wells, how is it called? Wells Road Drive. Road Drive. Yeah. Amazing. Like really. So you can see there, you don't think that person has road rage. That person has a heart yeah. that cares about the environment. Is So are not these two people you? Right. They are. They definitely are. And by the way, it's interesting, you know, on that note, um, by the way, Kai has not seen the, the all will sync video yet. Yes. It's not yeah. edited. So you out there in internet land, if you're watching this on YouTube, watched it and good for you. But, but my he didn't future get me it. will definitely but see the it. future him will love it because mm-hmm. it's great. Um, but you know, the, about the mind thing, you know, there's also, I love Ben Mossman. He's the CEO of Rise Gold. And I love that guy because it's good to have enemies. You know what I mean? And by the way, like, he's just trying to make a living, you know? Um, but I also love him because he is my enemy or that company is my enemy. And it gave me a rallying point, something to fight for and something, a way of specifically actually fighting for the planet in a way that was affecting me it brought personally. People together. And it brought people together. And I wrote a beautiful song about it. And I made a music video. And all these people came and volunteered to be in the music video. There's like a whole flash mob of all volunteers. Nobody got paid for that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it was a really beautiful thing. Well, without Ben Mossman and this whole Rise Gold thing, none of that would have happened for me. And it wouldn't have deepened my roots into the the Grass Valley Rough and Ready area in which I live. Like, I'm grateful to having an enemy like that. Like, I don't hate him, even though I fight against him and I'll fight to the death. I mean, that was the whole part of the thing for me about the no matter what. I was like, over my dead body, do you open this mine? That was my stand. It is my stand. Uh mm-hmm. Because there's one well, final maybe, step. Maybe let's soften the terminology. Okay. But it was like that. It was like, you know, it was it was like that for me. And and um 
And so, but like, I wouldn't fight him, like, attack him or anything like that. But I would fight I with my... my <laughs> Maybe he shouldn't be driving next to you. Yeah, <laughs> with my, you know, with my words and my music. That's yes. how I fight. Kill him softly. Kill, but yeah. the, 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 Don't kill him at all. The, the point is Transform exactly, him. you see how you're saying, it's like what I said earlier about someone getting a heart attack. Sometimes, and that's how life is, sometimes we have an extreme experience mm -hmm. that leads to growth and rebirth. Yeah. This uh, Ben person, he was the catalyst for a lot of growth. A lot of growth. Consciously, probably not. Unconsciously, probably yes. But also, that's again where we are asked to be curious about life. In what sense? We don't know his situation. Yeah. Maybe he has a really sick mom and he just, I mean, I'm inventing a whole well, story. Right? Maybe he just wants to make money. I mean, I think that's the But the perhaps thing. he is somewhat a decent human being in the sense of like, I need his money. My yeah. mom has cancer. Like I have to, that's oh, all yeah. I know. I, I have to make minds. Uh -huh. It's like, what I'm saying is we never know. We yeah. really never know the whole story. Uh -huh. And blessing to you, Ben, wherever you are. I yeah. hope your mom is great and everything is amazing. Okay, Thank I. you for choosing not to do this mine or being chosen to not to do this yeah. thanks for thanks for losing <laughs> thanks for losing <laughs> but that brings us back to ourselves that whenever we have judgment whenever we have the lack of the ability to bring a curious and compassionate mind to a situation mm -hmm. we're going to suffer from it yeah absolutely in looking at ourselves without compassionate eyes we're going to suffer from it Looking at ourselves with hateful eyes, we're going to suffer it from totally. Choosing not to acknowledge what's already there, we're going to suffer big time. You know, at the extremes, it's like this whole numbing of things. Um, and just as you were earlier, you were talking about how like we numb ourselves, and that's just turning the volume down on life. So we just experience this small spectrum of life, which is just frankly really fucking boring. I mean, if you've been there, and I've been there, like I'm saying this from experience, like watching. Mm -hmm binging netflix shows instead of going out and auditioning for things you know what i mean like i i've had periods in my life i'm not not now but i have had periods in my life where i did that right i used uh, uh entertainment as a means of numbing myself and mm -hmm. probably also some substances you know i've i've been down that road probably. it's really boring no i actually I, i'll admit it uh and, and and so there's something about like just seeking out the the discomfort recognizing that suffering will happen that these these calamities will happening you know the 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 phrase um the light in the darkness the the cold in the hotness refers to do you know what that refers to not sure no okay this is something my my first zen teacher used to talk about father ren uh, in relation to oneness and experiencing oneness if you take a uh uh a a cold bucket of water and you yeah. stick your hand in it mm -hmm. it feels hot and if you take a hot bucket of water and you stick in your hand it before the burn actually happens it will feel cold for a second and then it'll feel hot the cold and the hotness uh uh the light and the darkness cold and the hotness and so that's like the the whole idea that's also where you see i mean the fact that it feels cold and it's really hot you know, that sort of, there's something that tells you something there about reality, that at these very extremes, the opposite exists and you see it and literally actually feel it. And so, you know, I, part of a lot of the call of the song for, for me, you know, the reason that I wrote it for me, because I always write songs for myself first is like, uh, Hey, you know, just experience 
the extremities of life, like really live I love fully. Them yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. There's something I see in the cold and the hotness is also, again, about the, the, a point we spoke a lot about in this call about the the terrifying podcast. it's not podcast. a call we're not okay. call. we're here live i can touch you you know what i mean <laughs> the, the um the fact that there is the terror of exposing ourselves fully right yeah so in our order for for you to feel the warmth hotness warmth of the connection that will come later there is the coldness or the contraction that will come with facing this terror. Right. It will. It is a necessary Point. step. Like I will contract and be afraid of it, mm-hmm. but that contraction, if I'm willing to step into it and willing to allow it to be, will actually open and warm up, and I will thaw my colded, coldened heart. Right. Yeah. So again, it's the polarities. I, I love this song. It really, really touches me in that sense, and also I love the music of it. But it the 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 words are profound in the sense of it's an invitation to show up to ourselves in a more profound way mm-hmm. and not to be so afraid of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for calling me into this podcast. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> it's, it's oh, exactly. Oh, good job. Good callback to the calling. I like what you did there. You've yeah, called you me. Good job. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I, you know, I feel like I, and I speak about this pretty often, but, um, you know, when I write a song, it's like, I, I am writing the song, but it's also that the song is being written, you know, like it's very much, I'm just getting out of the way. Like, what am I really experiencing here? And how do I express that? Or how does it get expressed? How do I allow it to be expressed? And then, things show up, the words show up, the chorus shows up, the, the, the parts of the song. It's almost like. Sounds so magical to me. It really is. It's really like, um, you know, people talk about channeling, which I think is, I still think that's a little weird. Although I like the idea. Certainly people talk about Maria Stark and I had this beautiful conversation about the muse, which that's an ancient old, you know, it's, tradition and idea of allowing the muse the creative force to come through you as an artist to really express itself through my voice through my singing through my throat and also through my words you know how do i allow her to really communicate what it is that she has to say and in this instance it's such a loving encompassing inclusive message uh you know that while while I celebrate myself for having having written it, you know, I celebrate the song. I really love it. I love the way that it came out. I recognize all the pieces and people that came to play uh, to make it happen, uh, especially Brad Gordon. Uh, you know, there's also like, I'm just so grateful to myself that I allowed myself to be open enough to have it come through, you know? Because I think like as an artist, and this is just for all artists, because I believe all people are artists out there. It's like we have the tendency. It's like, well, I want to write the hit song that's really going to make people look at me and go, ah, there's Jeff up there, you know, <laughs> and like or whatever. Right. 
I want to, I want to, I want to own it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to write it. And then of course we try to force it and we, nothing comes out because there's nothing there. Because <laughs> the ego doesn't have anything to say so except for, and... I want that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's too busy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Give me everything. Uh, <laughs> right now. Uh, I'll tell you. That's man. my next hit. People. It's called Fuck It. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. Give it to me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's something about that, like just being willing. And I think that also goes back to the spirit of the song. It's like, if I'm willing to stand in the river and be open to what's happening and without judgment, with acceptance and love, then look at the magical miracles that will happen to me in my life, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it just also makes me so grateful to, to be able to convey this message to people you know, and myself. Cause it's like, I hear it. every time I hear it, I'm like, okay, there's a reason that chorus gets repeated three times. Cause I could just keep going down that rabbit hole. It's a never ending journey right there. So yeah. Where do we want to leave people? Happy and full and inspired. Okay. Yeah. In a place of choosing to accept their wholeness and fullness. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And release their shame and let go of their guilt and like just accept, man. We're all fucking really fucked up. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can say for myself that that was a big awakening for me. This realization that yes, I'm contracted, afraid of sharing my truth, shame, guilt, whatever. And as I practiced that, I was literally, let's say one in five people or one in 10 people will be like, oh, I can't believe you have this horrible thing. Mm-hmm. The other nine, the answer was, wow, thank you so much. I have this thing mm-hmm. or you just gave me permission to feel more close to you because I can share my truth. Yeah. And you don't believe it in the beginning because you really, really think that everyone's just going to shoot me when I say what it is that I think is so horrible. Mm-hmm. Ah, another thing that happened, happened a lot is that I have this thing that I'm hiding and I think it's so big. And then I came up and I say this to my partner or whatever and their response is, I know. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. No, so what? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And you still love me? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like from day one. It, because that's the thing. A lot of the times what we think is such a monster mm-hmm. for the other person is either completely not a monster. Maybe you, they have it also. And they're like, yeah, it's a part of the challenge that we're facing. You know? But again, the, the waste, you said it liberating, liberating mm-hmm. is so liberating. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Why did I carry this on my back for so long? What was I doing? Yeah. Why, why didn't I just express that years ago? Yeah, I know. I know, um, you know, going back to addiction a little bit and telling one on myself, I was a cigarette smoker for, I don't know, man, 30 years more. No, it was about 30 years off and on, but mostly on. And the incredible guilt and shame that is associated with that, especially moving forward over time, it's like, Come on, you're a smoker in 2018? Dude, that's, we found out that it caused cancer in like 1970. Okay. <laughs> and you're still doing it and it smells terrible and it doesn't fit. You're a singer, dickhead. Like, what do you, you know, you're ruining your voice, so much shame and guilt. And it's like this animal of addiction that just gets, you know, but at the same time, it's numbing something inside of me and satisfying a, a, a need. And, and it's the also, shame of a feeling like I can't, I want to, I can't. Yes. Like why can't I? Like that's I, I 
so I say no to a chocolate croissant. Why can't I say no to this? Like, yeah. Why? And it's, and it's because it's coming, coming after me, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really until like I just um, surrendered to the, you know, to my, my, that's, this is an addiction and there's nothing I can do about it. And, and, and you know what? And that I also loved myself despite the fact that I felt all this guilt and shame. I kept making this quote unquote mistake or this quote unquote, my, my, one of my best friends used to call it a bad choice. She'd be like, Hey, you want to come over and have a bad choice? <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> uh, <laughs> love you, love you, Molly. Um, so, but anyway, you, you know, like it, it took me to go into the place of being vulnerable and, and accepting myself and having to love myself anyway, even though I just felt this tremendous, such guilt, such shame, such an, I'm an idiot, such a, like, this doesn't fit with who you are, you know? And then also this other side of me, it's like, no, I'm a rebel and I'll do what I want. I go smoke things. Nah, you know, like that whole animal, you know, it wasn't until I was just like, okay, you just have to embrace all of you. You know, um, I also read the easy way to stop smoking, which was very helpful. And I, which gets into that whole thing and helps you kind of unpack that animal for a smoker. And I did ayahuasca. And that was like, I had a high intention of wanting to quit smoking. And then, you know, the effect of that, which I've talked about a lot on this podcast was that every time I wanted a cigarette, I saw the whole process of going and buying the cigarettes and smoking it and feeling like shit. And eventually I was like, okay, this, I don't need anymore. I'm choosing to love myself enough that I don't make that choice. And the funny thing is, again, like we're talking about, we just mentioned plant medicine and just said ayahuasca. What do these things do? What those sacraments will do? They're not going to take it away from you, but show you the whole process and teach you how to love yourself. Mm -hmm. So it all ties down to that, whatever practice it is for you, meditation, therapy, plant medicine, whatever it is. The point is that at the end, the journey out or the door out is not by hating it, mm -hmm. but really accepting the wholeness, the terrifying, the gratifying, yeah. the light, the dark. This is what the song is about. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I mean, I always say this side note, you know, you don't, don't do ayahuasca unless you're really called to it. Something that you really want to do. And you don't need that plant medicine in order to see yourself. It is definitely useful for some of us. Um, but really just accepting yourself, even in meditation and prayer, just talking to somebody, you know, like so, so many times you pointed out in this conversation, like just, Find a friend, look at your partner, tell them, hey, I got to uh, tell you this thing about it that I don't want to tell you and I'm going to tell you and here it is. And then if that person is not accepting of you because of that or doesn't want to help you, then that's not the person for you to be with. Exactly. And that's... Find a different person. I mean, that can be challenging too. For sure, that's going to be challenging. But you know that that's not your person. And now you know the person that you're looking for. So, I mean relationship. Yeah, yeah I thought even to speak. Yeah. Maybe maybe your oh. partner, partner yeah. like my wife. Maybe I need someone else to talk about something else. Like sometimes you need uh, another friend or something else. And that's for mm -hmm. sure true. That's also true. Yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't always have to be your your wife or your spouse or your husband or your mate. Um, I, I like for me, men's circles are incredibly valuable. Friends, male friends, female friends. Of which I have both, you know, confessing things to them is so, can be so beneficial. Liberating, liberating. That's where actually confession in all, tra in many traditions, we have this practice of confession. 
it wasn't so you'll go to the priest and tell you, I did this, and okay, say Abba Maria's, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. It was a process of clarifying your heart. Yeah. Confess, let me unburden, because it's heavy to carry all these rocks on our back. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So confess. Make a mess. Confess. Confess. Admit it. You did it. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. Um, great. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I really. I really, you feel unburdened. <laughs> I am unburdened. Yeah. I've got to confess to you. Uh, but I really feel like it's an honor to go deep on the meaning of these words, you know, that I'm only partially responsible for uh, with somebody who really looks at life from a deeper perspective. Yeah. Whoa. Exactly. I take that deeply. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your words. <laughs> From a deeper perspective. I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate that you want to. You know, that your your song means to you so much more. And I can say from someone who got to hear you sing live in many different situations, I always will say this. I can feel how your music is really your muse. Zik is really an expression of your soul and your heart. So I always feel that when you're bringing your songs out, you're, you're exposing yourself, you're confessing, mm-hmm. you're telling a story, you know? Yeah. And, thank you. In, and not, so it's for me, not just the words, but the whole experience is that for you, it is your form of standing in your weakness. It is your form of saying your truth. It is your form of, of sharing. So thank you for doing this and keep going. All right. While appreciating yourself. Yeah. And you. Thank All right. You so Thank you, brother. Hey, some bromance here. <laughs> the, you know, Awkward bromance. <laughs> Awkward bromance. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, Lunacy's a creation of myself, Jeff Vado. Much love, everybody. See you next time. Take care.